0: Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar Stuart Childs was joined by Superintendent Vet Inspector Damien Barrett to discuss the holistic approach to animal health. Okay good morning ladies and gentlemen and welcome to this week's Let's Talk Dairy. Um, today we're going to focus on health and I suppose. In light of the restrictions that are about to be imposed again in relation to coronavirus, it's kind of appropriate or very apt in, in the in the topic itself, because it's very similar. Uh, in I suppose people that have had nothing to do with animal diseases or anything down through the years wouldn't have had an, a realization of what's going on in the background in terms of trying to control and be ahead of of diseases coming into the country, etc. COVID has made people very aware of of uh, pandemics, obviously, and the spread of, of disease within the country from a, a human point of view. So I'm today I'm joined by Damien Barrett, who's a Veterinary Inspector with the Department of Agriculture. And Damien is going to be talking about the One Health approach, so a holistic approach to animal health uh, with a view to reducing antibiotics, which we would have touched on a couple of weeks ago in relation to uh, selective dry therapy as part of that One Health approach. And also about the exotic diseases, I suppose, that come in, which coronavirus would probably fall under uh, from a human health point of view. So Damien has a good few slides with maybe a little bit longer than um, our normal weekly webinar, but his work going through it because there's some very interesting information. And I suppose Damien will make people aware of things that are happening within the department that people maybe never have have had an awareness of as well in terms of early detection of disease and as we were just saying before we went live there, um, trying to stamp out these diseases before they become a big issue within the country and so forth. And there's also some serious implications maybe for some diseases getting into the country. So people being aware of that uh, from a very early stage and notifying the department in in adequate time is an important piece of it as well. So Damien, I'll ask you to share your slides. I'll encourage people to put in questions as we go along through the Q&A. It's a good opportunity to ask questions of in, um his good handle of the situation within the department, given the role that he has. Um, and the One Health thing is a very important piece from a human health point of view as well, because that reduction in antibiotics is going to feed into um, better health outcomes, I suppose, when people are using antibiotics into the future, because antibiotic resistance has been associated with misuse of antibiotic within the animal population. So. Damien, I mean, I'll ask you to share your screen and you can start away. And as I said, I'll encourage people to ask questions as we go along. Thank you for joining us. Uh,
1: thank you very much, George, And thanks very much for the opportunity to, to, to speak to, to your audience. Um, I have talked to as part of animal health awareness week it's an initiative by the department to raise awareness of the importance of animal health in in the context of of exotic diseases and all, and we're also doing this in the in conjunction with world antimicrobial uh, awareness week and um I, I really want to talk about this holistic approach to animal health called the one health approach and the one health approach really it's about this concept that the health of people the environment and animals are extreme ext- inextricably linked and if we kind of just delve that into that a little bit more say for instance in terms of something like antimicrobial use overuse of antimicrobials is going to lead to antimicrobial resistance and whether that's in is in in um, human medicine or animal health Animal medicine or veterinary medicine—that's um, going to give rise to resistance. And once once these um, resistance bacteria get into the, they can actually get into the environment, say through through manures and and water, um, and like another one health concept is is the issue of of um, disease vectors. Like changes in the environment, say, can lead to changes in the habitat for vectors. Say, for instance, midges. Um, if we have milder winters, that's going to mean that we could have midges for longer, and midges are an important vector for the transmission of Schmallenberg virus and Blue Tongue virus, which I'll talk to you about a bit uh, a bit later on. And then then the other thing that probably gets gets overlooked is the importance of of the nutrients that um that 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 that, that um meat meat and dairy products, et cetera, provide for the well-being of the the human population. So all these things, the point is that all these things are inextricably linked. So really, if we are going to talk about um, reducing antimicrobial usage and enhancing health in, in in a holistic manner, it really is about putting the like of these these points in, into practice, that's biosecurity practices for disease prevention, reducing antimicrobial usage and sustainable production systems. Now, I think um, the farming community was probably well aware of what biosecurity meant, but I think the general population have 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 it's become a bit They've learnt about it since the advent of COVID, and really, what this is about is is th- there's two there's two elements of it, and those of you that are involved in um, Yoni's control programs would would be aware of this. The first element of biosecurity is by exclusion. This is keeping disease out outside, say, the farm gate and and the um, the perimeter and the, the footprint of the farm, and then biocontainment is containing the disease within certain cohorts within that. And, and as I say yonase is a prime example of this if there's yonase in the cows um the the whole the whole idea of the the biocontainment of it is to ensure that it isn't transferred to the next generation of calves through calf snatching and feeding the for baser from from very early on um this is an important this is important for the department in and the department has its own um biosecurity strategy basically setting out the parameters in which um you know, the, the the outline of what biosecurity biosec- means for the industry. And it is something that the chief veterinary officer in particular is is very aware of and very very keen on. In terms of, of disease prevention, um the, the first the first thing here I want to talk about is is reducing stress. If we look at this this um graphic here of the, the non stress stress calves and the stress calves. One of the first things is is that the, the stressed animals need need more nutrients, um, and as, as well as that, they're going to be more susceptible to z- disease. Stress leads to to the release of cortisol, which is an immunosuppressive. Um, and I suppose we we all think of the the common the common um, stressors and the like of weaning, transport, mixing, say animals from from different from different herds at, at, and and I think they're, they're probably something that we think of more in a beef context. But we also should think of other stressors that may, may affect, particularly, say, at, at a dairy level. One of these might be, say, in, insufficient feed barrier space or insufficient lying areas. And the animals that are going to be affected by this are going to be the ones at the bottom of the pecking order, more often than not heifers. And this can have knock-on effects for the health and, and productivity of, of the heifers. Um, this side here, what I want to talk about here is the importance of nutritional management. And um, in a dairy context, the, the, the transition period here, the period from which the cow goes from a non-lactation state to a lactating state, and there are quite significant metabolic changes in those and big big metabolic demands on the cow as she transitions from that. And it's important um, if, if that's not managed properly, that can, that can give rise to quite a few um, nutritional problems. One of the, the, the like of ketosis where the, um, the output of the cow doesn't keep up with the demand. Um, or, or that, that the energy demands from the output doesn't keep up with the inputs in terms of, of feed. And that's, that in a clinical case can will give rise to a, um, a substantial drop in milk, milk drop, but also at, at a more um, at a subclinical level it can give rise to immunosuppression. These ketones as well are immunosuppressive, and um, it can give rise to subfertility. At the other end of that spectrum um, is is over over um, feeding of say concentrates or not so much. O- not necessarily overfeeding but the sudden introduction um giving rise to acidosis and um in th- this th- th- in chronic states this can give rise to laminitis and and liver abscesses here i want to just mention about the importance of, of mineral deficiencies and th- their the role of minerals in in optimizing health like the first three there i'm sure you're quite familiar with calcium magnesium and phosphorus these these are interlinked and then what I should have in, in, included in that is not so much a deficiency of those, but an, an excess of, uh, potassium is going to have a negative. Um, it's going to reduce magnesium and anything that re- these, these all are going to give, can manifest in an hypocalcemia. So it's important to get these three, the, the these three elements, correct, probably, relatively low levels of calcium in a, in a pre-calving diet to re- relatively low levels of, 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 of calcium in, in a pre-calving diet to mobilize calcium off the bones, but also relatively high levels of um, our supplementation with phosphorus and, and magnesium. Iodine is mentioned here because it's, it's quite an important um uh, mi- mineral in terms of, of, um weak calf syndrome um if if there's a shortage of iodine it can manifest in in calves that like even you see that they get plenty plenty colostrum their colostral antibodies are 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 quite quite can can be quite impressive but but they will be um they will be short they can um um be 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 weak they'll be weak no more than with selenium and um they can they will no matter what you do they're hard-minded and in when you're getting into a number of situation, you want to do everything you can that these animals are born are born strong and and are able to suckle or consume um colostrum anything anything that's going to give rise to weak calves is going to give rise to um that that lack of lack that lack lack of vitality and um you really want those calves that stage in life you really want that the calves in that stage of life to to have as much life in them as 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 they possibly can another issue as well with with iodine is that it can lead to um weak weak heats um and um heifers in particular um you you will see that this issue of the, the 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 calving process slowing down and the um and and you you may lose kind of leading to silberts I mentioned as well there copper and cobalt these are important these are important as well to get um good good thrive now i'd say you're all blue in the face distant about the importance of vaccination in the context of COVID and But I think one thing that we might be learning from the COVID situation as well is that um, vaccination in of itself is is not always a panacea for all problems um one thing that we would have learned from covid is the whole the whole importance of of herd immunity now i know herd immunity got a bad a bad rap early on in in the covid situation because i think um there was a, there was that idea that herd immunity was going to going to be based on letting the disease rip but herd immunity really is is as it, it should really only be applied in the context of of, of vaccination, and it's there's a threshold there of about eighty percent of a herd needs to have antibodies from from vaccination for it to be effective. And if you're below that for whatever reason, it's not um, you're not you're not going to um, get the immunity that that vaccine was designed for. As well as that, there's other issues that come into play here in terms of husbandry, biosecurity. Um, and going back to minerals one of the worst mineral problems i think are one of the worst um calf scar problems i think i ever came across involved a a, a very very profound selenium deficiency and this herd was actually using a, a scar vaccine but um they were so low in in selenium that the the, va- the vaccine the vaccine the animals weren't really reacting to to the vaccine are are producing antibodies and another key element of vaccination is is that if ever there's a medicine where you do exactly do exactly as it says on the tin this is this is it if the vaccine the vaccine needs to be followed um, the instructions to the full to the letter of 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 the instructions anything anything other than following the full instructions is not going to give the immunity that's required I just want to touch on the issue of antimicrobial resistance here. And as as I say, it's an important theme of this week, Animal Health Awareness, Antimicrobial Awareness Week. Um, Antimicrobial resistance is is considered to be the greatest public health threat that's going to face humanity in the next 50 years. It's thought that it's going to, it's felt that it's going to cause more more deaths in people than cancer in, in 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 the coming years now, just to explain what antimicrobial resistance is is that um, the whole premise of of an antibiotic antimicrobial is that they they kill bacteria and this, they basically eliminate the bacterial infection. And it's the bacterial infection and septicemia resulting from that that, that make people sick. And indeed, antimicrobials have saved hundreds and thousands, millions of lives of both people and animals. That's, that's the upside. Now, the, the downside of antimicrobials is, is when, they, when they go about killing bacteria, just on that Darwinian kind of concept of the survival of the fittest, they don't kill them all. There's going to be, say, in this slide on the, on this, this graphic on the on the extreme left, um, there's the, the red the red bacteria remain, and these become the dominant bacteria. Um, and over time these these become dominant and they these are and they are resistant to bacteria. And um if if these proliferate. You're going to have to have stronger antibiotics, as it were, to deal with these. But there, there will come a time where you run out of antibiotics. And um, that's, that's, when, that's when the issue of antimicrobial resistance comes in to, into play. I suppose the and, big
0: thing there, Damien, is that there's actually only a very small cohort of families of antibiotics available yes. is the issue, isn't it? So, yeah. And, and that's why they're... Um, these critically approved ones are, are being kind of taken away. So people would have been used to some drugs been available for stock and now they can't get them anymore because they're seen as being critical for human health Yes, uh, and they've been removed from animal use for
1: that purpose. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly the point point Stuart is that they, these are becoming frontline in, in, uh, in human medicine and they're, they're being saved for human medicine. And, um, but now, this slide i have here um if we look at that this graphic um here that these critically important antibiotics have been have been removed over over a couple of years but as time has gone on um the, the health the health and welfare of animals has not ha, has not declined in in proportion to these being taken away so that that's a good thing and the reason that's declined are is that the husbandry and the preventive measures and vaccinations, I suppose all these things have have taken the place of these to to keep the health in place and th- that's that 's what really what 's responsible antimicrobial use um comes down to it's using as little as possible, and what that what that means is reducing the likelihood of disease through putting in hurt health plans and like the truth of the matter is. These these are being as, as as in the famous words of Willie John McBride, it's getting your retaliation in first, uh taking proactive action to stop the disease, getting getting a hold in the herd um through through vaccination, good husbandry and biosecurity. And then and then it's using them as necessary. And um and like no one is saying that antimicrobials should be taken away from from the the animal health from the farming circle but it's that that they're used they're used prudently and smartly and used as much as necessary based on diagnosis and prescription the correct dose for the full course um and the full course is is whatever like say for instance you've got an animal that the, the the drug is prescribed for five days it's looking grand after three and it might even be it might even be difficult to 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 um, they might like be getting the full course as you know, um, it's important to f- see that out for the five days, and the other thing is with as as you're all aware of the importance of with, of observing withdrawal periods to avoid residues, and just to clarify, just to make sure everyone is clear on this, resistance and residues are completely two completely different things. Residues is the is the remnants of of the, the the antibiotic in the sy- system and they're going to be metabolized and they're going to be wor- they're going to be worked out of the si- of the system of the animal over time. And um, that's generally speaking from from what we're seeing from our, our residual our, the res- antimicrobial residual residue program there's very little there, there are very few. Um, re- residue violations resistance is different. Because th- th- this is just basically changing the flora of the bacterial flora of the animal so that you're getting bacteria out there that actually are resistant to the bacteria. It's, as I said, it's that Darwinian kind of thing of the survivor, the fittest. The other thing I want to mention here as well is that... Um, the issue of how how health relates to to um, sustainability and f- production efficiency, and I think this is something that's important to remember in in the context of all this talk at the moment about um, the need to to reduce cow numbers from from a greenhouse gas perspective. Um, I think I think we need to think a bit more about the importance of getting the animals we have working more efficiently, and um, so. Anything, anything that causes ill health is going to cause reduced um, production efficiency. So I, th- I think we need to look again at the importance of maximizing the health of the animals so that you're going to get the optimal efficiency from them. And just to, to put this in context... Um, one figure there is that when 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 the, when the Scottish when the Scottish um, industry was looking at eradicating BVD, they calculated that the eradication of BVD would re, would re, would reduce greenhouse gas emissions in Scot- from the Scottish cattle population by 3%. three percent. But as you as you're all aware, three percent on the face of it may not look that big, but it's fine margins. It's 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 three percent anyway. Um, and if you look at others, if you put that with other diseases, that you can look at that, that further. Um, as well, well it's as important that, to point
0: out there, Damien, as well, that every, every percentage that we can get is going to be important because um, the MAC, this is part of the Chagas-MAC curve as well. Improving animal health is going to improve productivity. Yes. So there's several angles of it where it comes into play. Obviously, animals aren't sick, so they perform at a higher level the other big thing is probably from a beef animal point of view they may finish faster and that's a significant yes. help in terms of reducing greenhouse gases so every little helps as tesco says so we'll yes. take it all if we can get it
1: yeah i think this is going to be a game of very fine margins and every every as you say every every little helps and um every every everything you can take you take it um and just I, I've mentioned here about the issue of of disease. I, I remember talking to a vet, um, an Irish vet that's working in in Africa, and she. I
0: think I've lost your volume there for. It came in for some reason. Maybe hit mute by accident.
1: Yeah, that's exactly yep. what I did. Sorry, um, and yeah. I, I I was just saying there that um, in the developing world, parasitism is is considered the greatest hindrance to production. Now we don't have. We have the the, the medicines here to deal with parasitisms, wormers, fluocides, all that. But what we are what we are seeing is development of resistance to these drugs, no more than with antimicrobials. So again, an impo- it's important that these these are used um, smartly and prudently, so as to minimise the, the 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 risks of of um, anti resistance. And um, like th- that, that's especially important for a, a grass-based production systems like ourselves, where we we do depend on on grass, and it is these parasites are going to be picked up off grass. Now, what I want to mention here is the importance of of um, uh, the Irish production uh, or the Irish national animal health status. Now, I've kind of mentioned this here, and I am conscious that um, this my, my presentation might be a bit longer than, than usual. I think. We've we've mentioned all that and, and I think you get all that. But like there is a very important connection between animal health and agri food. And just to put this in context, like these these are the figures here of the value of 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 livestock, li- livestock-related exports to, to the Irish economy. So like it is it is the biggest indigenous industry. It's also a very important thing from the point of view of of, of um Public perception and um, the way, and especially if you're dealing with higher um, higher value markets, like the the consumer and higher value markets, put puts a premium on welfare. So it is it is important that um, th- that they they see that we're making every effort to protect and enhance the, the health and wealth, welfare of our animals. As well as that, there's, there's important public health elements of this. Like, and that's some, some of the issues we're going to cover in some of the, the webinars for Animal Health Awareness Week. Um, the TB eradication program is around so long that I think we may forget why it came in. That was to eradicate TB, which was quite, quite an important zoonosis um, in, in the 50s. Um, likewise with brucellosis that was a zoonosis like and that's okay pasteurization did a lot to deal with those but at a farm level um and for for people working in meat factories in particular and and farmers the these these were these were public health threats but as as well as that um one thing one thing we we we're, we're seeing as well is that particularly in the context of access to the china market for for beef the whole issue of of bsc like thankfully for most people BSE is a distant memory but unfortunately it's not a memory for us in the department and when when we're trying to get uh, access to these third country markets particularly china's and china we're we're seeing this particularly with the asian the asian markets they they're they're very um they're very keen on on the whole issue of BSE in 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 uh, in cattle and scrapie and sheep, and um, but like the 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 point the point I'm really get getting at here is that this this can be if these were to emerge they can be something that close a market, and what I've put on here is an example of of the certs that this is a China, this is an example of the China cert of what the disease is that they. They want assurances from that the country is free of, like, say, foot and mouth, rinderpest, contagious bovine, pleura, pneumonia, lumpy skin, pestipity, ruminant, etc. cetera. Uh, but then from a farm level, they want freedom from th- these other diseases here highlighted, blue tongue, brucellosis, et cetera. So um, it's it's important. These are things that probably the, the average farmer on the street um, probably doesn't cross his mind and he's probably he's lucky that these old things don't have to cross his mind in terms of getting markets for irish produce but they are, they are something that we we have to deal with and we have to provide assurances on And um, what i want to talk about here next is the animal health uh, surveillance website and this is this is a resource i'm sharing with you that we try and get out um current news here on on a variety of topics um that's this current news page here. Um, we have just given examples, some store, some topics here, past, 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 parasitic gastroenteritis. Um, we would see when we see increasing levels of, of worms and say, um, both stomach worms and fluke worms, our colleagues in the labs, we, we, we get, we ask them to get to us when they see these and we, we post these on this website Um that Haemonchus contortus, that's in a lamb. Haemonchus contortus. When I was in college, 25 years ago plus, uh, wasn't really a disease that we, we we considered was in Ireland. We thought it was kind of something of the uh, the closest we got was the southwest of England, but um, it has emerged in that we've seen it in the southeast. And this year we've seen this case in in. Um, in in at in seen in the atlone regional vetme lab this is otherwise known as the barber pole worm it causes severe anemia in, in lambs not so much an issue in in um in cattle in fairness but i i just it's just an example and then what we have here is we do this fluke antibodies this fluke antibody prevalence study, um, over the summer months, um, well, from July until November each year, just to get a a handle on, on the exposure of, 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 um, lambs to, um, to, to, to fluke. Now, the importance of this is, is that, okay, these are a sentinel. These really are picking it up. These lambs are born in two thousand and twenty at 2021 and they're slaughtered in 2021 so basically if they have antibodies they had to get them in the current grazing season and over 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 this we we just really plot plot where, where when it emerges this may vary a bit from year to year in a particularly wet year you can see this coming a bit earlier Invariably, this is going from east to west um, as 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 the rainfall goes. We have quarterly reports from the from the regional veterinary labs um, on, by 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 species. There, just summarising the the main conditions by quarter. That's by by sheep, but all of this is combined into the All Ireland Surveillance Report, which we. Um, um, compiled in conjunction with our colleagues in AFB in Northern Ireland and this really is a summary of the disease situation um, in, in, that, that's seen um, by the regional veterinary labs or six regional veterinary labs in Sligo at Lone, uh, Backweston Kilkenny, Limerick and, and, and Cork um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on these for too long um, and then we've got some other pages of interest and these are these are about our surveillance programs our, that's are of interest to trade partners that i was alluding to earlier on when they um when when their when their staff are researching ireland of what we have and what we have from goss in terms of disease and programs we have for proven showing proof of freedom that that information is there now the i just want to emphasize the importance of the early detection of disease and um this whole animal health awareness we came about as a result of a review of our early warning surveillance system for the detection of um, an emerging exotic disease or the re-emergence of a disease that we've eradicated, such as, such as brucellosis. The key thing about early detection, and kind of in, in the words of Mike Ryan, that WHO doctor, um, like early detection is you need to work fast and and efficiently early and maybe getting in the controls early before the disease takes hold is crucial and passive surveillance is is the foundation of that um passive surveillance is is like what i've referred to there. um farmers and vets um getting cases investigated in their local regional veterinary lab but but for that to work you need to have people to be aware first of all that the labs are there to do that job and secondly to be aware that when when they see something untowards to go and 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 to get it checked out so that's the objective of this week we're having this week um syndromic surveillance really that's that, that that's something that's developed and it's based on big data where uh milk records for instance mortality records and um, that kind of big data are interrogated but that's only in the development stage. It may be, it may be something that'll augment it. And it we have evidence to show when we looked at the emergence of Schmalenberg retrospectively that um, analysis of milk data might, might have identified that six, six to eight weeks sooner than the first clinical case. But um, that's something that's, that's still in development. But just to give you some some context about if you don't move fast and move early, what could happen? The foot and mouth outbreak that occurred in 2001, um, that, that cost the Irish economy 210 million euros. Now, if you, if you remember, that, that gave us good warning. That had been simmering on in, in the UK for a couple of weeks, and we had three cases in Northern Ireland. And the case that was detected in... Um, in 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 county loud at that stage i think that that fitted within the surveillance zone of of the case in south armagh so we were well warned even with and the other thing was that that was a part of the country that was relatively easy to seal off um like you had mountains and it was a peninsula so even at that it cost 210 million euro if it we there has been an analysis done that that could have cost up to five over five billion euro if the, um if 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 it had been let less rip if 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 you like um i just want to bring attention to a disease now that that's probably of, of concern it's probably the exotic disease is causing us um a lot of concern at the moment and um it's blue tongue this is a mange-born disease and um there, there are two ways that well there's two ways really that it's going to be introduced to the country. It's, it's a midge-borne disease. Midges can be blown for up to 400 kilometres. So in theory, it could, be, it could be blown across from France. And especially so, more likely it could be blown across from the UK if there was an outbreak there, but thankfully the, 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 they're free of it. But the other way it can be, it can be um, brought in is through um, the, the purchase of, of stock and cattle from France, say. And this is, this is a higher risk, say, if it was to occur during the mid-season. And if it occurred during the midge season, got into the midge native midge population, then then it, it would take off. And this is a graphic really of of what we found about Schmallenberg. Again, a midge disease that was introduced to Ireland in two thousand and twelve. We reckon it was probably blown across from the UK, and it reemerged again in two thousand and sixteen. And in two thousand and twelve, this was a disease predominantly of the south and the southeast, and and. In two thousand and sixteen when it re-emerged, it went it went a bit farther northwest. The reason we feel it didn't go as far in 2012 was, was that after its introduction it was introduced in, in we, we've, we've calculated in early, in August, 2012 that there was a cold spell in October. I think, I think it was October, but there was a, it was a particular, if you remember 2012, it was a, it was an awful year and there was a, a cold snap that probably killed off the midges. And that's why it, it was con- relatively confined. But, if that was to have happened in May, um, it's, it's likely that it would have crossed the country. And why, why is this important? Um, in the context, if this was blue tongue, in the context of blue tongue, the restriction zones, because this is a is a, um, a midge-born disease, extend to 150 kilometers. And within those um, restriction zones, there's mandatory vaccination and housing orders. But there are trade implications and it, it could mean the loss of live exports, and if this was to happen, say, for instance, we, on this, we've given this example, if it was to happen, say, in the middle of the country round that loan, for instance, um, most of the country, exports from most, most of the rest of the country would be curtailed as, as a result, and even into, into part of Northern Ireland. So I suppose what I want to talk about finally here is um the Animal Health Awareness Week, which is the, the, the subject of um what what we're having a series of of podcasts and we're really trying to raise the awareness of animal health for this week. And I want to thank Stuart again for 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 allowing me to talk to you. Um this this again is a, a series of webinars and the first of these is going to be on this evening. Um, and this one this evening is about antimicrobial resistance and it's coinciding with the EU AM, AMR day or antibiotic day. And there's a there's a week, a global week of antimicrobial awareness. The um, speakers this evening are, are a combination of, of um, vets, farmers, and um human health doctors, Professor Martin. Cormican from NUI Galway, who is the HSE lead on, 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 uh, AMR and Dr. Nuala O'Connor, who is the Irish college general practitioners lead on AMR. Um, this, this speak, uh, talk on uh, responsible antimicrobial usage by John Hanrahan. He's a pig farmer, but, and pig farming is probably one of the heavier users of antimicrobials, but the lessons that he's learned are, are they, and, and applied, um, here are are applicable to to all types of of livestock farming and his vet mike burke is also going to speak and um i'm afraid they also to call- have
0: a fairly significant dairy enterprise as well damian the henrons so oh. there would be um i'd say i think i've heard something in relation to how they've implemented the some of the kind of the transferred some of the learnings from the big side of things into the dairy side of things as well on the farm so it would oh, be that's interesting
1: a, that's all the better and um our, our, our other speaker that night that we're actually have to, we're having to sub Simon Doherty Um Simon unfortunately succumbed to COVID and we're getting um James Russell from, from um the British Vecme Association to give a talk about how agriculture is leading the way in terms of antimicrobial um usage reductions. On Monday, we're t- we're we're having a talk specifically on zoonosis, um, and this this really zoonosis are those diseases that are transferable to from from animals to man and our, our talks there and i suppose the concern about that is, is that if there's a spillover like we had a spillover of covid into people from animals it the, the 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 impact can be pretty devastating um we've got we've got speaker there the first speaker from the uk um chairs a a, a, a risk assessment group on zoonosis um, Margaret O'Sullivan is the lead, the HSE lead on zoonosis. Um, Anita oh. Zentel from UCD is going to talk about tick-borne diseases as well as animal diseases. These are these are quite important um zoonotic diseases. And Kira, Kira Feeney or Kira Reed is going to talk about um a zoonotic disease, but specifically salmonellosis as, as a result of feeding raw meat to dogs. Um, this talk here is probably of most interest to the, to the dairy farming sector, um, that should be Ailish Moriarty, sorry, um, is the, some of you may know her from Kerry Agri-Business, she was also an O'Field scholar who who did a study on the use of bulk milk testing as a, a herd health screening tool. Um, you also know Fiona uh, Finola McCoy, I'd say from um, Animal Health Ireland, um, topic probably of interest to yourselves. Um, Fiona Lovett's talking about um, reducing an initiative to reduce um, antibiotics among practitioners. And James is talking about parasites. And the last one here is probably the one, probably the most dramatic. Uh, Philip Robinson is going to talk about um, his own experience of diagnosing foot and mouth. And on a personal level, he was living on the family farm in County Antrim at the time. And that meant that he couldn't go home for two weeks um we're also going to have talk about again about blue tongue um a m r mike mcgann is going to talk about um the person experience there and um We've got Gemma Daly from Dara talking about African swine fever. I'm very conscious that I'm probably running over time. So I think that's that's all I have to say, Stuart, if you have a mic. I can stop sharing there. Yeah, and, you can
0: um, do, yeah. Um, so I suppose if anybody has any questions, please do come in with them. I suppose the key things to identify, I suppose, can often be castigated, uh, I suppose, as the department, especially in relation to TB. And look, there are people that we, we know that have major issues with TB outbreaks and so forth. Um, the, I suppose, is it challenging in Ireland in that we seem to have an awful lot more trading, Damien, than it seems to occur in other countries?
1: Yeah, um, tr- trade, f- from, from a disease point of view, um, trade and trade is this big, from a biosecurity point of view, isn't good. But trade, look, we all, we all live in the real world as well, that trade is a very important part of the business. Uh, and it's just when that's going on it's just it it just makes it that bit harder to to get to the to grips with something like, like TB and movement movement is is a known risk factor in TB there are several others as well but it's it's one of a few and like the thing about TB it's very complicated um there there are a lot of factors at play here and movement is one of them um and there's, there's there's a lot of things to 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 bring under control, and that that is definitely one to to, to be considered.
0: Yeah, and just in relation to I suppose the vaccination, I think this is interesting. I suppose um, one question that I get asked regularly, I suppose, is obviously calf scour can be a challenge for people. Um, should we vaccinate for scour? And many cases, to be honest, my my experience has been the people that people have gone and vaccinated for the scour, and they still have the trouble, and and often their vet will tell them like I mean. Just look at it this way: that it would have been a lot worse if you hadn't vaccinated. But from yes. what you're saying there, in in reality, there's some other underlying uh, issue on the farm that's potentially resulting in that more so than the failure of the vaccine. Really, is it?
1: Yeah. Well, there could be a couple of things at play there, like um, like the, the major the, ma- the major um, causes of viral viral scars, It would be um, rotavirus and coronavirus, and then you've got the, the, these vaccines and the the other, the third element, those would be E. coli. Now, if the calves have that, if, if, if any one of those three pathogens involved, your your um, calf scour, your vaccine is aimed at those. But the other big one is Cryptosporidia, which, which the vaccine doesn't cover. Right. So and and the point you made there about it being worse um like one of the things I remember reading a study from Canada years ago is that um, one of the one of the one of the things that they found as a as a, a confounding factor in crypto scours was actually the use of vaccines for the other thing, right? So the point there that um, it could be worse that and and these diseases tend to occur, occur as complexes as well in that particularly say the pneumonia, you've got viruses bacteria and then the mycoplasmas there. Um, it, likewise, in the scars, if you've got if you've got two or three pathogens, they're kind of augmenting um augmenting the worst effects of each of them. You're, you're, it, things could be worse. So like, but like it, it's a point that's well made that things will be worse if you weren't vaccinating. But as you say, there are other things to get right. Timing. Make sure that it's given in, in the right time. I think correcting any mineral imbalances is is very important as well, as well as, as well as possibly, um, well, energy balances shouldn't be, shouldn't be a problem at that stage, but like, and, and like there is a difference between say putting, putting them, I think to talk about three nutritionists sometimes talk about three diets, the diet, the diet that's calculated, the diet that goes into a feeder wagon or comes out of it. And then the diet that's actually consumed. So, you know, all all these things kind of come into play, you know,
0: yeah, so just any um a timely question in relation to what you just said there, Joe McMahon is just inquiring is a blo- when is the best time to take a blood sample for trace elements um and how many should a person take you know that's a tricky question
1: yeah it's, well, it's a lot a lot of it would depend on 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 the size of your heart um the, the best time I suppose would be in the dry period before say like like you'd be hoping to get minerals into the animal six weeks before the calf so in that window between them drying off um and 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 and, and um just to say kind of after early after drying off like a lot of it depends on 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 the size of your herd, i suppose but i'd say you get a good um uh, I I hate picking a figure, but if I was to pick a figure in a kind of a a reasonably sized herds, I'd think close somewhere between five and 10. Um, um,
0: Uh, And I suppose the other thing as well, um, I think I just, as the reason I said, it's a tricky question is it comes up often enough, like um, I think you're probably looking at nearly having to take a a blood samples at a couple of different stages during the year, really, aren't you? Because we'll say, as you said there no, you're not in the vast majority of cases, People are actually only just going to have the full hair dry potentially, yeah. um, a week or two there around Christmas, where they won't be doing much um, themselves. Maybe trying to enjoy the Christmas period. The minerals will should be gone in at that stage. So there's a very tight window of opportunity for whatever feeding has been contributing to minerals prior to that. Well,
1: you see? Well, you see, that's 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 exactly the point is like if if you were continuing to feed concentrates like that, that's going to give you the. the that's going to kind of um, unnaturally elevate them, like you're. Well, not unnatural, nothing unnatural about yeah. that, but but it just gives
0: you a false uh, picture. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Like,
1: really, you want to be finding out what's in the forages, and like. But the important thing is, like, it's probably now in most parts of the country, there's shortages of of, of minerals rather than them being in excess. Although in one part of the country, one or two parts of the country, you may you may have selenium excess, um, but like. Minerals, I think, minerals are key c- c- coming up to calving, because as I alluded to there about the importance of them for the calf vitality. But the other thing that they're important for is is um, uterine involution, and like if they, if you get uterine inv- involution properly without any kind of like or the lack of uterine involution, so to speak, that's going to give to give rise to fertility problems because you're going to give rise to endometritis and all that if if you get that involution it's you're going to get the, you're going to get the cow to go a long way to getting herself back in calf on her own
0: yeah so you have the whole uh, calcium issue as you mentioned earlier on there muscle yeah. contraction yeah. reduces etc if they get uh, milk fever yeah they don't help that doesn't help them clear out then as well and obviously your vitamin e your antioxidants yeah. that kind of stuff are all important in that as well there's yeah. just um I suppose we'll wrap it up with that. Um there's just one question there actually that we didn't cover um came as well is what time are those webinars on next week and tonight?
1: Yeah, each of those are kicking off at um at at, at 7 p.m. There the, the registration details are on the um uh let's see agro agric- the agriculture pages on the government website. Um
0: I'll, I'll get them there and I'll send them out on Twitter later on. So we'll yeah, be uh, able to share them out that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's just to... actually one other question after jumping in there as well, Jimmy, um, that might be of, of interest because it has come up. I know that in this area that I'm working in down here in Moorpark, um, Munster Heart Health do, or Munster Bovine, as they're known, um, do a good bit of milk analysis. And in the last two years, they started giving readings in relation to Q fever. Um, is that something that you have any knowledge in in terms of? The the what people should do or be, the issues around it Um, sorry for putting you on the back now. Maybe potentially,
1: I wouldn't be the best person to answer that. But would it be possible for me to find out more for you and get back to you? Or like, I, 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 if yeah, I was do to give, do
0: because it has come up before actually as well. Now and as I said, I've thrown that. At you know, without it wasn't something I had thought of. I thought of actually earlier, but yeah, it, is well, a, it, it is a, it is a an emerging issue maybe for want of a better way of describing it that there are herds in this area getting many yeah. results back at the moment that are saying that they're high in q fever and there's an a uh, human health issue
1: there is framework so with,
0: with q fever too so look um we'll wrap it up with that i think it's a sign of the the uh, value that's been on the topic i suppose i mean that we had 45 people 50 people there on for the full 45 minutes uh, generally Um, We find that after half an hour, people have kind of given me the half an hour. And once I go over the half an hour, they decide that they have enough of me for the day and that they go on about their business. So the fact that people have stayed on the whole way through is a sign that there's interest in the topic. So we'll come back to further heart health uh, issues uh, um, over the course of the next couple of webinars. I suppose, just uh, from a a pure housekeeping point of view, from my own point of view, for people that aren't aware, our dairy conference has gone back online uh, instead of being face to face, it was planned for the Rochester Park and the Hudson Bay and that going next week. So um, it's going to be spread over Tuesday and Wednesday uh, and just check out the Chagas website for the details. Uh, we're just adjusting our programme slightly there to, to allow for that. Um, next week, we're going to be talking to Joe Kelleher. So Joe was a dairy advisor in the Newcastle West office for uh, many years. And Joe is now the organic dairy specialist for um, in working around that area. And Joe's going to come on and talk to us about organic dairying. And to be honest, looking at the front page of the Farmer's Journal this morning, it could be all organic next year, where the sounds of the way the fertiliser prices are going. So uh, please tune in for that next week. I'd just like to thank you very much, Damien, for coming on and for a very interesting presentation. Um, And again, look, I think we'll talk again at some stage over the next 12 months again, maybe to touch on some of the topics that you've touched on there. Some very interesting work going on in the department behind the scenes, I suppose, that a lot of us maybe aren't aware of. And I suppose the key thing that I would say that I would have taken from it today is that if we see something unusual, we need to get it checked out. And I suppose there's always that fear of notifying the department about something, but it could be saving an awful lot of hassle and grief for the entire country. And so I suppose it's important to point those things out. So thanks very much again, Damon. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And we wish you well for the week and we'll see you again next week. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.